Survival and now growth. That's how the government is selling its $374 million COVID recovery investment in the arts. Overseeing this unprecedented spending in a sector that's often been neglected in the past is the Minister for Arts, Culture and Heritage, Kamel Cipolloni. She took over the portfolio from the Prime Minister after last year's election, having served as Associate Minister for the previous three years. $374 million? Well, it's a lot of money. Is the Minister confident that the government will get enough bang for its bucks? And once we're through the recovery phase and that targeted funding has been spent, what's next? In this interview, you'll hear references to PACE, the Pathways to Arts and Cultural Employment Programme that ran from 2001 to 2012. It was also known as the Artist Benefit. Well, this government is spending $7.5 million on a career support for Creative Job Seekers Programme to upskill arts workers in areas like finances and marketing. Well, I asked Carmel Cipolloni what priorities this government set when deciding how much money to invest in the arts and entertainment sectors. Well, firstly, internationally, um, the arts have taken a huge hit because of COVID. And I've had meetings via Zoom with other ministers, my counterparts in other countries, about the impacts of COVID uh, on the arts, even at an early stage, anticipating that there would be an impact on the arts. Um, And so... You know, really looking at the the livelihoods of artists, you know, many of them reliant on being able to kind of showcase their work, uh, if they're musicians, then gigs, and the impact that COVID we anticipated would have on that uh, was huge. And so, you know, our overall focus with COVID has been on jobs. And, uh, you know, that includes the art sector. And so making sure... Uh, that our artists uh, are taken care of during this time and that they've got some assurance that they have incomes uh, and that at the end of this, when COVID passes, that not only have they been able to survive, but the, the hope is that they're able to thrive and that we are better placed. There was an estimate of something like 11,000 potential job losses in the arts entertainment sector. Do we have latest figures on on where that lies? I think it's not as bad as was anticipated. No, I think that it's something like 1,400 job losses. So 1%. And so we certainly haven't seen the level of job losses that we had expected. I think the wage subsidy was set up in a way that... Uh, meant that artists could access that too, those that were self-employed. I know that uh, with other wage subsidies in in some countries, uh, it was difficult for for artists to be able to access it. I think uh, sometimes there was an expectation that you would have been in employment for a, a certain period of time, and for artists, that's not always the case. So a lot of, I mean, a lot of that money has been in survival modes, and now we're coming to a different. Position now, the world hasn't opened up, so that's no. still impacting, of course, on a lot of our artists. But what are the priorities now for for this year, that recovery and future? Yeah, it continues to be around jobs, uh, also uh, careers in the arts. How do we support people to have sustainable careers in the arts? Uh, a good example of that is the um, creative careers investment that we've made. Uh, formerly was the PACE programme, so it's a revised version of that. Uh, but, you know, not only do we want people to be able to survive in arts jobs uh, during this time, but we want uh, others coming through to, be, to see it as a viable career option, uh, to be supported to have it as a career option, which often means having access to other skills outside of their arts, uh, you know, business skills, marketing skills, access to networks so that they're able to 
uh, get into those spaces where they can actually uh, pitch their work, sell their work, uh, you know. And so all of those things are really important. We want to come out of this COVID uh, context uh, where artists are able to thrive. That's the focus. You mentioned pace. Yeah. That word brings a lot of nostalgia to an awful lot of people, of people in the sector. Yes. You know, and they hark back to the days where pace was was there. Yeah. And what you mentioned is not the same as. Yeah. Would we ever see a return to pace and that kind of different way of looking at the what we call now the job seeker benefit, I guess? You know, that artists are a special case in point. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we've started off um, carefully, obviously piloting it in certain regions and wanting to make sure that we improve on what pace was. And, you know, what does that mean? Uh, that means, you know, is it just for those that are on benefit or can we open it up to those that maybe have not come on benefit yet but need access to these types of supports uh, so that they can uh, get into sustainable employment mode, you know, and, and then not having to come into the welfare system, which and, and many artists I know have had to come into the benefit system, off the benefit system, you know, and, and it's a an ongoing struggle for them. And I, I know that for many artists, their preference is to have a sustainable career in the arts uh, rather than uh, just week by week wondering what will come up next. There have been a lot of policy announcements in the last year, as I mentioned. Uh, Minister, what would be one of the ones that you're most proud of and have the most hope for that it really will make a difference now and in the future? I don't know if there's one because there are so many. Uh, you know, so certainly the investment into creative careers uh, is something that I'm very proud of. Uh, also the investment into um, creatives in schools. That's about inspiring the next generation of artists as well as providing some ongoing work for our artists. Uh, you know, the investment into creative spaces, as well as something that I'm very proud of, uh, not only as Minister of Arts, Culture and Heritage, but as the Minister for Disability Issues. You know, that's one of the many communities that Creative Spaces serves, and uh, they have been operating on the smell of an oily rag for so many decades. So to get that $18 million investment uh, into Creative Spaces, I, um, I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to achieve that. One of the policies I think that perhaps has had the biggest raising of eyebrows is the 18 million for Te Papa and then the 2 million for all of the other museums for a hardship fund. Do you stand by that? Well, you know, this is how things are set up. You know, Te Papa is the National Museum of, of New Zealand, so the government has a responsibility, a direct responsibility to ensure that they are um, viable, that they are able to operate, and so um, that investment was necessary. Obviously, with the other very amazing, important museums across the country... We've got a lot. Yeah, we, population, we really do, don't we? Last yeah. time I saw it was like 500 museums or something. They fall under the purview of local government. You know, so... What I think is really important is that at the government level we continue to have conversations with local government uh, to ensure that the museums, galleries are, uh, are not afterthoughts when they are considering how they move forward in restrained, you know, constrained sorry, times. Uh, I have said to the Ministry of Arts, Culture and Heritage, I really want them to be part of the local government review as well because, as I said, we don't want the arts to be an afterthought. Uh, and so, you know, we just need to continue to work with local government to ensure that uh, 
they are given the attention that they need. Um, they are not a nice to have. They are an integral part of the offering for local government and for our communities. And so we just need to continue to have those conversations. Uh, I mentioned before that 374 million, and there's been a lot of love for the arts post COVID, immediately post COVID. Mm. Now things are getting tough. You know, mm. it's, it's starting to bite now for a lot of people. So they may look at that money and go, what is in it? for us. As you mentioned, a lot of that was survival. But I'm thinking particularly the screen industry. I mean, a big investment in the screen industry. Is that, of all the art forms, one of the most likely to have a return? So for taxpayers, they're going, what am I getting for that, other than the feel-good factor? Um, are you hoping for a strong return, say, from the $50 million a premium fund for screen work? Well, we want to see our um, film industry thrive. We do recognise the number of jobs that um, come out of the film industry and uh, that New Zealand does very well, uh, not only uh, domestically but with attracting international films here. Uh, and and so, you know, we, we want to con for that to continue. And um, we do see it not only as an investment in, in jobs, but also as a way of promoting um, our country uh, internationally. And so there are a number of dynamics to the film industry. And so the investment that we're currently making, I do stand by, uh, and we want to continue to have a thriving film industry. So I mean, a big for that premium fund, for example, of course, the emphasis really is on finding, I'd say, co-pros and New Zealand productions that will have a life overseas. Brokenwood Mysteries, is our, in terms of our TV show, well, it's a yeah. huge export for I us. I haven't actually seen it, I need to see that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we've got to keep in mind too that the, the international context means that in many countries, films are not being made to the same extent. Uh, you know, New Zealand looks like a safe place uh, for filmmakers internationally as well. And so, you know, we have to find the opportunities during this COVID context, and, and I think film is one of them. Interesting, though, that, and even in the news today, there's been concern from some quarters, say the dairy farmers are saying, oi, we couldn't get our workers in, I know you're not responsible for visas, but how come the film industry could? I mean, again, do you think the government would stand by that allowing the international film crews in for shows like Avatar to, and Lord of the Rings to allow them to happen? Are they important to the economy? I think it's really hard to compare sectors. I think it would be a bit dangerous for me to, to go down that track. But, you know, the other opportunity that has come out of this is uh, how do we uh, use our domestic workforce to fill some of the workforce shortage areas uh, in New Zealand? And we've got to continue to do that. Um, does that mean a better promotion of the jobs that are available? And I'm talking across sectors here. I'm not just talking about uh, the arts or the dairy sector. Does that mean a change to terms and conditions so that those... Uh, jobs are actually more uh, attractive to New Zealanders because sometimes they're not always the easiest jobs to work or the easiest places to get to. And so this has given us an opportunity to, to rethink how we use New Zealanders or provide New Zealanders with the opportunity to step into some of the areas where we have workforce shortages. Do you think that we need to invest more in things like facilities? Because, again, I've been talking to um, organisations around the country saying, look, our crew mm. are flat out. You know, this is great Netflix or overseas productions or local productions. You know, they're flat out. Um, but there does seem to be an issue with studios, and that is, that is vital too. Is there any more work that could be done? I think some studios were hoping for to be considered shovel-ready projects, yeah. for example. 
Um, you know, there's probably more work that needs to go on in that space too. It's probably not an area that I'm over as much as what I could be, and so I won't speak to it too much. But I, I did find that uh, at least one studio contacted me and felt like they didn't necessarily tick the boxes for some of the uh, funding that we've made available as part of the COVID response. And I think that is certainly something that I've said to the Ministry of Arts, Culture and Heritage, we need to look at. Um, because if there are uh, groups or um, parts of the arts industry that haven't been able to access some of the funding but have needed it, then where do we need to pivot next? I'm drip-feeding the questions about funding because I can just see where our listeners' eyes glazing over around the country, but it is important. And I wondered, I mean, I spoke to Creative New Zealand about getting that money out really quickly. That was very important, the money you spoke about yeah. after lockdown. And that is what they're set up to do. They're a funding agency. They got the money out very quickly. I think there have been concerns that the Ministry for Culture and Heritage have struggled mm. um, rather more with the money that they have been responsible for. On, on reflection, um, do you think they were well set up or are well set up to distribute great big chunks of money? I think no one was prepared for COVID. <laughs> no one was prepared for a pandemic. But, you know, right from the beginning, we had to make some decisions. I, I don't know whether Creative New Zealand would have been set up to roll out the, the dollars that uh, we've invested into the arts either. And so there certainly has been capacity building along the way. Uh, I think the last time I checked, about 120 or 130 million, I think, of the 374 had been rolled out already, uh, where they planned to roll out the rest. And the 374 million was never going to go out the door straight away. Um, it is an investment over two to three years um, because we know the lag effect of COVID. Uh, and so that money will continue to be rolled, rolled out. And I'm quite comfortable now um, with the pace in which it's being rolled out at the moment. I would say, you know, at the end of last year, I was like, okay, uh, are we getting the money out fast enough? And certainly put a bit of pressure on MCH to ensure that we could bring some of those timelines forward. uh, And that has happened. I get the sense that the government is keeping an eye on the, the bang for the buck. So I've spoken to the heads of the New Zealand Film Commission and we've spoken to uh, New Zealand On Air and I've spoken to Creative New Zealand recently and said, well, you know, with that big amount of money that's come your way, are you reporting back to the government? Are they interested in how you've spent the money? And are they getting the return on that investment that was hoped for at the start? And they were doing what you were doing. They were nodding enthusiastically saying, <laughs> yeah. yes, we are reporting <laughs> yes. and we are, we are we realise that we are responsible for that money. So yeah. are you comfortable that the money spent so far um, is returning what the government was hoping for? Yes, I am. And, you know, in terms of the rollout, because you talked about, you know, MCH taking a direct role in getting funding out there, they have a role, but as you said, the other arts entities do as well. And so I'm tracking that very closely uh, and to the point where I actually have a tracker to see how much has gone out and when it, the the next um, lot of funds will go out so that I can keep track of that. It's, it's no good having that $374 million investment if it's not getting to where we need it to go as quickly as we need it to go there. I know there's also been dedicated extra funding for festivals because festivals took such a hit last year uh, and are back in action then. Why did the government feel so strongly that they were worth spending quite a few million dollars, I think, on keeping them alive? Yeah, well, I mean, they are you know, so crucial to the communities that um, they are run in uh, and they serve a very important purpose, our festivals, and they did take a big hit. I mean, it was incredibly hard for some of our festivals to have to call off 
uh, you know, their festivals with very late notice. And a lot of people uh, lost money in the process of that. It was the nature of having a pandemic. It couldn't be helped. But, you know, it was an important place to, to put a lens over as well. If I think about just uh, Pacific festivals, we were already in discussions pre-COVID, actually, about the fact that uh, Pacific festivals are huge, they draw big crowds uh, wherever they're held, but actually there hadn't been government funding given to Pacific festivals at all. And so there were already discussions that we were involved in, and then COVID again gave us an opportunity uh, to put that investment where it was needed. Keeping in mind that if we just look at the uh, two major Pacific festivals in Auckland, it wasn't for one year that they got cancelled, it was for two years um, off the back of the uh, the mosque uh, attack, and then because of COVID, it wasn't just the festival organisers that lost, it was all of the stallholders, as well as the community just being able to come together and celebrate their identity <laughs> and who they are. Uh, and so there was a lot lost because of those two years in cancellation of cancellation. Uh, so it was it was appropriate that we we um, put that investment in place. And the calls or the emails or the letters that you get, Minister, what would be some of the most critical areas that you're hearing from the arts community? Because there will never be enough funding, and there will always be some areas that that feel that they need more or are struggling. So mm. in your in your mailbox, in your electronic or real mailbox, what are you hearing from the arts? community? I think there's quite a, a good balance and so a lot of positive feedback. Um, certainly out on the ground when I'm at arts events there is this positivity that is not just because of the funding but due to the fact that artists are able to come together again now, that we are safe as a country, uh, that you know performances, live performances are able to happen and so there is an air of excitement and relief that unlike many other countries, we are in a position where the arts can happen outside of a digital platform. Uh, and so I think, you know, first and foremost, that that would be the, the biggest feedback is actually positive, but not just because of the funding, but because the arts can happen. Always there are, you know, individuals in some organisations that uh, feel that um, they've missed out because the, the funding um, hasn't benefited them directly. Uh, and, you know, we have to take some of that criticism on board. As I said earlier, we also need to look at the funding streams that we've set up, the different funds, uh, what the intent of them have been and who they set out to serve. And if there are gaps moving forward, how do we pivot uh, in crucial areas where we can actually support others? I was wondering, and I haven't had a chance yet to ask this of the community, but with the borders opening and, say, Hollywood reopening or Pinewood in, in the UK, our film crew have been incredibly busy, but there is that appeal of working overseas. Are you confident that the conditions here are, are pretty good? You know, we're, we're talking at the moment for nurses maybe being lured overseas because they can get better money in Australia. Do we have to make sure that we are paying our talented people well enough that we won't lose them once the world reopens? I think that's an ongoing issue. It's not just because of COVID. Working conditions and pay rates for artists and their ability to have a income that is that sustains them and their whanau is not an issue that's just come up because of COVID. That's ongoing. Uh, so it's something that we need to continue to look at. Uh, but, you know, in my mind and I think in many other people's minds, New Zealand is still the safest place in the world right now. Uh, and so I think 
we're not at risk of seeing a mass exodus of our artists overseas. Um, and certainly when the opportunities come up internationally uh, and they are able to travel safely, they will do what they have always done and they will go. And I, in most instances, they will come back. We've all been looking for silver linings from what's happening with COVID. And certainly immediately post-lockdown, I think there was a lot of love for mm. the art sector because artists gave freely of their, of their time, particularly online, to keep us entertained, you know, to keep us laughing, to keep us kind of sane and, and give us some perspective. So there was that, that love. As I say, a year on, things are getting a little bit tighter. But do you feel that maybe attitudes towards our artists have, have changed more permanently because of what happened with lockdown? Yeah, I, I mean, I saw a survey uh, recently uh, which showed that New Zealanders intend at a greater rate to attend arts events. You say and, word engagement. Yeah, I hate that word yeah, engagement, yeah. but I think that was the survey, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And you can absolutely understand why that was the case. We were deprived of the opportunity to go to live arts events because of COVID. Uh, and there's always the risk of restrictions being put back in place. So I think there's a general excitement and appreciation for being able to attend uh, live events. I've been to a number um, since the restriction levels dropped, you know, including uh, the first performance of the Sym Symphony, New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, and you know, following the uh, restriction levels two, three, and four. Uh, when it was at one, and you know that was a free concert. It was huge. Packed and out. It was no. packed out. Yeah. And then even more recently, the six sixty concert at Eden Park in Auckland. I think it was fifty or sixty thousand people that came together for that. And you know, I think there was a sense of pride amongst those that were there that we were able to come together in those numbers, and enjoy and appreciate New Zealand music. The NZSO is an interesting case in mm. point. I spoke to the head of the board a couple of weeks ago and they were saying, well, they were very grateful for the extra money that came through and it was a chunk. Uh, but they've had to rethink or they are rethinking their role and trying now to spend more time outside of Wellington yes. and to spend more time in the community and in schools and doing workshops. Yeah. And that all costs money and as well as streaming. Uh, so, I mean, that's quite a big change, isn't it? That there's another pivot that's been going on for a lot of our institutions now yes. is going more online or streaming or thinking of different ways of working. I mean, potentially, is that exciting? I think that's exciting. Uh, the collaborations that have come about because of COVID that may not have happened or may not have happened as quickly are exciting. You know, even if we refer back to that New Zealand Symphony Orchestra uh, performance after lockdown, you know, to see them with Macy Rika on stage was uh, pretty amazing. To see uh, them and, you know, the New Zealand Ballet reaching out to communities that might not otherwise have access to things like our New Zealand Symphony Orchestra and New Zealand Ballet. Because you get that word elitist whenever you mention the New Zealand Opera Company's current situation with board members. That word elitist comes out an awful lot for those three institutions in particular. Is that fair? I think that that term has been used for quite a long period of time um, and I'm certainly seeing a change with all three of those uh, institutions actually, New Zealand Opera included. I went to the New Zealand Opera where it was the um, performance around Tupaya and Captain Cook uh, which I thought was beautiful and um, although we appreciate the traditional performances that our New Zealand opera, our ballet and our symphony orchestra put on, I think that it is incredibly exciting that they are making works that are unique to Aotearoa uh, and, um, you know, both are needed. 
But I guess the hope is also with the money that's gone in, Minister, that arts organisations and artists will use it to find a way to secure their future because this is a one-off, we know that, and this money will be spent over one or two years. So the money has to be used to build up knowledge and foundations for the future. Partially, you know, I think that we can't be reliant, certainly can't be reliant on the level of investment that we've got um, due to COVID. However, it's also given us as a government, the Ministry of Arts, Culture and Heritage, to test some things, to do things a little bit differently. And so I don't think that we should be uh, so cynical to think that everything will go. You know, if there are particular um, funds and ways of doing things that have worked and are created opportunities that are very clear and have been successful and effective, um, then there is, uh, you know, honestly, the potential that some things will carry over. Um, But I certainly couldn't guarantee that at this stage. But that's what, you know, that's the space that I'm watching as Minister. Minister for Arts, Culture and Heritage, Carmel Cipollone, talking to me at the Beehive.